Thanks for watching NTD Business. Coming up. President Biden is threatening to tax oil companies extra profits. How could that affect them? The Supreme Court blocking Congress from getting former President Trump's tax returns, at least temporarily. And Elon Musk is confirmed to be Twitter's new CEO. Now it looks like he's focused on how to make money with the platform. We have that and much more coming up on NTD Business. It's great to have you with us. Paul Graney here. The Supreme Court today blocked Congress from obtaining former President Trump's tax returns, for now at least, it's just temporary. Previously, an appeals court ruled that a House panel, a panel at the House of Representatives, could gain access to the documents. But Trump yesterday asked the Supreme Court to halt the order, and it did. Democratic lawmaker Richard Neal, the chair of the panel, has been trying to get Trump's tax returns for years. He says the panel needs them because it's considering updating how audits of presidents are done. But Trump argues the true purpose is to release his tax returns to the public. He says it's obvious because the panel isn't trying to get records from any other president. Chief Justice John Roberts ordered Congressman Neal and other respondents, including the IRS, to respond to Trump by next Thursday. Keep you updated. And President Biden is taking issue with oil companies, asking them to lower their prices at the pump. And if they don't, he's threatening a tax on what he calls, quote, excessive profits. Introduce Sean Marshall has the details. The earnings are coming in, and big oil is making big money. So much money that President Biden took notice. He's accused oil companies of war profiteering and he's proposing windfall taxes on their profits. Oil companies, record profits today, are not because they're doing something new or innovative. Their profits are a windfall of war. Biden called on the companies to lower their prices and said if they don't, they're going to pay a high tax on their excess profits and face other restrictions. I asked energy expert Tom McNulty how the tax could affect energy companies. I think that it, it just removes capital that they would use for other things. And uh, people can argue about what that money could be used for, dividends, return of capital, but also investment. The threat of a windfall tax on the oil industry comes shortly after U.S. oil giants ExxonMobil and Chevron announced record profits. ExxonMobil posted third quarter 2022 earnings of $19.7 billion, up from second quarter earnings of $17.85 billion and marking the highest quarterly profit in the company's history. Chevron reported earnings of $11.2 billion, up from $6.1 billion in the third quarter of 2021. The, um, the large energy companies in this country have a tremendous technological capability and skill set to do all kinds of things in energy, not just oil and gas, but also uh, things like uh, carbon capture storage, hydrogen. Again, regardless of where you are on the climate debate, the skill set and the money is in the energy company. So when you take money out of them, that's less that you can spend on either old energy or new energy. The president, however, takes a different view. Time of war, any company receiving historic windfall profits like this has a responsibility to act beyond their narrow self-interest of its executives and shareholders. I think they have a responsibility to act in the interest of their consumers, their community, and their country. 
In other parts of the world, BP has more than doubled its third quarter profit from year earlier to $8.15 billion. Saudi Arabian state oil producer Aramco beat forecasts on Tuesday by a 39% jump in third quarter net income and reported a record level of free cash flows. Sean Marshall, NTD News. The American Petroleum Institute responded to Biden's remarks yesterday. It said that the administration could, should get serious about addressing the supply and demand imbalance. API said that oil companies don't set prices, global commodities markets do. And it also warned that a windfall tax on profits would decrease domestic energy production, increase reliance on foreign oil, and likely lead to higher prices too. And inflation is not just hitting home buyers and people with credit card debt. Uncle Sam himself is getting squeezed by higher borrowing costs too. The cost to finance America's growing mountain of debt is rising rapidly. At the same time, the Fed is raising interest rates to try and ease inflation. This year alone, though, the federal government spent $475 billion in interest. In interest. It's $120 billion more than last year. If things keep up this way, financial analysts worry that by 2025 or 2026, not far away, the United States may end up paying more in federal interest payments than on the country's entire defense budget. We have a big defense budget, you know that? Federal Reserve has already raised interest rates by three percentage points this year so far. Another jumbo-sized interest rate is widely expected on Wednesday. That's when the Fed wraps up its latest policy meeting. We'll let you know. Oh, just a week before the midterms, the economy is first on Americans' voters' minds. Surprise, surprise. Anthony Jessica Beatty has more on Gallup's new poll. The most basic of kitchen table issues, the cost of groceries and gas, will influence how almost all Americans vote in the midterms. That's according to a Gallup poll released Monday. It surveyed about 1,000 Americans across the U.S. between October 3rd and October 20th. It found that 98% of respondents said the economy will be extremely important, very important, or moderately important in determining who they vote for. Republican Senator Rick Scott told ABC's This Week Sunday that concerns about inflation will help his party regain control of the Senate. The election's going to be about inflation, and it's going to be about the border, and it's going to be about crime. Senator Scott said he expects his party to win in Georgia and Nevada, but Pennsylvania will be the hardest. Meanwhile, former White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, who's now a host on MSNBC, said Monday that inflation is a global issue. She said there's not a lot Democrats could have done to change that reality. According to political polling site 538, Republicans and Democrats now have an equal chance of winning the Senate. But recent polls by Fox News and ABC Ipsos found that voters trust Republicans to do a better job handling the economy by at least 12 percentage points. But this may not be a big deal for Democrats. While Republican voters told Gallup their top three issues are the economy, immigration and crime, Democrat voters said their top three concerns are abortion, climate change and gun policy. Independent voters were in between, citing the economy, abortion, and crime as their top three. The partisan priorities confirm that turnout is key for both parties. Whoever can get more of their voters to the polls will have a better chance in the midterms because they're unlikely to sway the other side. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. 
But even if your favorite politicians win the races, will they follow through with what they promised you? Author and former prosecutor Dan McMillan says they may have to choose between you and their big donors. McMillan's currently researching the role big money plays in our election process and our policymaking. He's the founder of Save, Amer- Save Democracy in America.org, and I spoke with him earlier. The Republican Party, we see pretty significant divisions happening, mostly between the likes of more established figures like Mitch McConnell versus Trump and, and kind of Trump-backed allies. Uh, do you feel the more populist, like Bernie Sanders, Donald Trump, when they, when they get into power and their people get into power, they, they follow through, or, or they're also beholden to big money donors? The thing is, they have to raise the money, too. And that, that's why, I mean, Donald Trump, he had it right. He said we must drain the swamp. When he got to Washington, however, the swamp is not drained. And, and I don't even mean to say that to fault him so much. It's just realistically, he had to raise the big money also. And he's raised, he raised, I mean, he didn't raise as much in 16, and Clinton outraised him and spent, outspent him. But of course, Trump had massive free media because people, people could never turn a camera away from him because he was great television. I mean, he got effectively a billion dollars with the free media. So, but for this coming election, President Trump and his allies have raised massive amounts from big donors. And so when they get to Washington, they won't be able to do it anymore for us. At the end of the day, until we change where candidates get their money, nothing's going to change. The big money donors, the likes of Wall Street, big tech, big pharma, do they, do they take the anti-establishment message with a grain of salt? Do they feel like even if candidates are pushing it, they feel once they get into power, they'll have to you know, do what we want them to do? I think that they know perfectly well. I think they do. It's been working for them well enough. Well, you know, actually, I think it's been working for them well enough. But I think that these donors, look, first of all, I want to say the big donors are not villains. They're doing what they have to do. I mean, they have to protect themselves from the political system. And any, any, you know, the head of any corporation who doesn't spend money on politicians and lobbyists is forfeiting an advantage to his competitors and ought to be fired. He's not doing his job. So again, I'm not saying the politicians and the donors are evil people. They're not, okay? It's the money's the enemy, not our fellow Americans. But I think that one of the reasons why I think that our reform effort will succeed is that even if the big donors are saying they're not getting what they need, from the political system anymore, because what is big? What is the business community most have to have from every political system? Yet they want lower taxes, light regulation. What they have to have is stability and predictability, and that's gone out the window in this country seven or eight years ago. So I and people told me when I started my venture, you're going to face a wall of money from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm waiting for a check from Charles Koch. But I think if I get a chance to talk to the business community, I think they will see that I'm not their enemy and that ultimately it's in every American's interest to bring back government by the people and have a stable government that all Americans respect and trust. That was Dan McMillan, Save Democracy in America. The full interview will be broadcast this Friday on NTD.com. And down on Wall Street, stocks ended lower for the second day in a row. The Dow fell 80 points, about a quarter of a percent. S&P 500 lost 16 points, four-tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq dropped 97 points, nine-tenths of a percent. And Elon Musk is officially the CEO of Twitter, as well as the only member of the board.
is after he fired everyone originally on the board. He's now indicated that he'll add new members in the future. Right now, though, he seems focused on how to make money with the platform. He's floated expanding Twitter Blue. That's a subscription service that gives users extra features. Blue's been around for a while but hasn't really taken off. Musk may have a new way to persuade or blackmail users into paying for it. Twitter could take away your blue checkmark verification if you don't subscribe. I'll get to what that means in just a moment. Musk also says Blue will come with other features like priority and replies, mention search, and the ability to post longer video and audio. Oh, and half the ads. Back to the blue checkmark. That's the one that Twitter may take away if you don't pay. The checkmark is supposed to show people that your account actually belongs to you and isn't some impersonator pretending to be you. It's especially important if it's an account of public interest like celebrities or organizations. Before, people just had to show their accounts were authentic, notable, and active. Social media professor Anzu Selapek says the blue check marks play a big role in Twitter's ecosystem. Accounts with blue check marks have a far larger voice than those that don't have them. Here he is. It makes you, it makes your content appear to be more trustworthy. It gives a better opportunity for you to build your brand, for you to be able to share on social media in a way that people trust what you're saying. They're more likely to engage with that content. They're more likely to retweet that content, which means that Twitter is basically giving people these check marks that are indicating this is someone whose account you should engage with. And that sort of bonus that not everybody gets, less than 400,000 people, I believe, have a verified account. Blue check marks make up about 400,000 of the total 200 million daily active users on Twitter. And regarding how the new $8 per check mark system will play out, Selapex says the devil's in the details. We don't currently have those details just yet. Meanwhile, he says that old authentication system could use some improvement. A lot of the verification rules are either Twitter picks you or you have to prove that you are a reputable source, not necessarily that you can verify you are who you are, um, but that you can indicate I have been published, I have done journalism stories. And right now it really gives the advantage to journalists, not necessarily people who are interviewed by the journalist. So hopefully what this will do is open up the verification process to more people. And while Musk tries to figure out how to make money day-to-day at Twitter, he's also facing scrutiny over how he funded the Twitter deal originally. Democratic Senator Chris Murphy has asked the Biden administration to immediately investigate Musk's Twitter purchase. In an open letter, he pointed to potential national security concerns, especially from the Middle East, i.e. Saudi Arabia. Murphy says much of the financing Musk used came from Saudi Arabia and the Kingdom of Qatar. People from these regions own around 5%. Murphy is worried that they could use ownership to influence the platform. He brings up the vast stores of data that Twitter has collected on American citizens, as well as potential censorship and misinformation. One Twitter user tweeted to the Democratic senator that the Saudis were there before Musk bought Twitter. Musk responded to that tweet with a laugh emoji, followed by a bullseye emoji. This is modern-day communication, by the way. And moving on, Brazil's President Bolsonaro today spoke to the public for the first time since the elections on Sunday. We've been waiting to hear from him. 
He asked his supporters not to be violent and said his administration would begin the transition of power to the new president-elect. Here he is. Our methods can't be the ones the left uses, which always hurt the population, such as invasion of property, destroying public property, and restricting citizens' rights of freely moving and traveling within the country. Before the elections, many left-wing politicians and voters said that they feared that Bolsonaro would try to stay in power by using the military. That's if he lost the election. In his short speech today, Bolsonaro indicated that his administration would now begin the transition of power to president-elect Lula da Silva, better known as Lula. Brazil's Congress now consists mostly of right-leaning lawmakers after this year's election. Bolsonaro said that because of this, conservative values will prevail in Brazil. Take a quick break, but if you have any news tips, feedback for the show, you can always email us, business at ntd.com. Still to come this evening. Elon Musk's SpaceX powerful Falcon Heavy rocket returns to the skies for the first time in over three years. This time, it's on a secret mission. One of the most basic things in life that you think is true may actually be a myth. A new report says that most plastic is not recyclable. With that and much more, coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. The Federal Trade Commission says that millions of students' personal information may have been exposed because of a tech firm's lax security. Federal agency has ordered the education technology provider Chegg to strengthen safeguards around its customers' data. Chegg's businesses include renting textbooks to students and scholarship search services. The FTC alleges the company failed to fix problems to secure the data it collects even after it was hit with four breaches since 2017. The breaches threatened the sensitive information of approximately 40 million customers. That includes social security numbers, email addresses, and passwords. The FTC wants the company to take more protective actions such as bolstering security and limiting the data it collects and stores. And Supreme Court justices questioned the legality and merit of race-based admissions for colleges Monday. The process is known as affirmative action, and it now hangs in the balance. Anthony's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the arguments heard yesterday. The court heard close to five hours of oral arguments for two cases Monday. Racial classifications are wrong. That principle was enshrined in our law at great cost following the Civil War. The cases involve Harvard University and the University of North Carolina. Just considering race and race alone is, is not consistent with the Constitution. Lawyers defending the schools honed in on the importance of diversity, with one calling it the nation's greatest source of strength. We live in a large and sometimes unwieldy democracy. And for that democracy to flourish, people of all different backgrounds and perspectives have to learn to live together and unite in common purpose. 
Justice Clarence Thomas asked for a specific definition of diversity with context. It seems to mean everything for everyone. And questioned the merits of the program. I'd also like you to give us a, uh, a clear idea of exactly uh, what the educational benefits of diversity at the University of North Carolina uh, would be. Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson asked the plaintiffs for evidence of injury and for examples of how race actually factors into the admissions process. The university is not requiring anybody to give their race at the beginning. Um, when you give your race, you're not getting any special points. It's being treated just on par with other factors in the system. No one's automatically getting in because race is being used. Justice Samuel Alito called college admissions a zero-sum game. If you give a plus to a person who is an under, falls within the category of underrepresented uh, minority, but not to somebody else, you are disadvantaging the latter student. Plaintiffs claim the University of North Carolina discriminates against white and Asian American applicants and Harvard against Asian Americans. When asked if race in and of itself has an effect on the University of North Carolina, the defending lawyer replied absolutely not, but that the school supports the limited consideration of race as authorized by the court. I don't understand your answer. Either uh, if it's irrelevant, then you shouldn't care whether it's, it's ruled out. Chief Justice John Roberts and Justice Amy Coney Barrett asked defendants when the endpoint for the program is. Rulings are due by the end of June. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. And Elon Musk's SpaceX's Falcon Heavy blasted off today for the first time in over three years. Three, the rocket launched two, off from NASA's five, Kennedy Space Center zero, in Florida. It's hauling satellites to space in a secretive mission for the U.S. Space Force. The towering three-pronged vehicle is the most powerful operational rocket in the world. This is Falcon Heavy's first mission since June 2019 and his first operational national security mission. <laughs> Intriguing. And is plastic recycling a myth? Have we been misled for decades by recycling ads? Well, a new report by Greenpeace, an environmental advocacy group, says most plastic is simply cannot be recycled. Dries Don Ma is more. And that was an ad from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency telling us to recycle. And for decades, we've been told that recycling makes a difference for the environment. Well, those claims may have been less than truthful. A new report by environmental advocacy group Greenpeace says that plastic recycling is a dead-end street. A Greenpeace USA senior plastics campaigner said, quote, The data is clear. Practically speaking, most plastic is just not recyclable. And here are the fundamental problems. First is that plastic degrades each time it's processed, meaning it can't be reused more than once or twice. So eventually the plastic has to be destroyed, dumped in a landfill or shipped to a poorer country. Malaysia became the leading destination for the world's plastic trash after China banned it in 2018. We are really seeing the broken system or the myth of 
plastic recycling. Malaysia does not have the system in place to deal with all this huge amount of plastic waste. And our research shows that much of it, rather than being recycled, is just being left out in the open burning, landfill or possibly incinerated. Other challenges are that mixed plastic waste cannot be recycled together. There are thousands of different plastics, each with their own composition and characteristics. Different plastics have different melting points, dyes and colorants. It would be basically impossible to sort the trillions of pieces of plastic waste produced each year into separate types to be reprocessed. But let's say you could somehow sort the different types of plastics. It's still impossible to recycle 100% of the plastic waste. This is due to contamination and process losses, which leads to about a third of the collected bottle material being disposed of during the recycling process. But here's one of the biggest reasons. Plastic recycling is not economical. It would be cheaper to just make new plastics rather than going through the process of collecting, sorting and reprocessing. Although you may think that um, the majority of all of these bottles are being recycled, the reality is that only one out of five is. So the other four out of five, the 1.6 million every five minutes, ends up in a hole in the ground or in our oceans. Fish think plastic is food. They eat it, and as we eat the fish, inevitably we'll be eating the plastic that we put in the water ourselves. The Greenpeace report says after more than 30 years, it's time to accept that plastic recycling is a failed concept. U.S. households generated an estimated 51 million tons of plastic waste in 2021, yet only 2.4 million tons of which were recycled. So then, what's the solution to plastic waste? One is that we produce less, and the other is use more reusable plastic products. Don Ma, NTD News. And finally this evening, an extremely rare first edition copy of the U.S. Constitution will go up for auction next month. Sotheby's Auction House says it's expecting bids up to $30 million for the document. Produced ahead of the Constitutional Convention in 1787, Sotheby's says only 13 of the original printed texts are known to exist. Last year, another privately held copy was put up for auction and fetched a record $43.2 million. You may remember that billionaire hedge fund manager Ken Griffin was the winning bidder then. He since loaned the document to an art museum in Arkansas. Sotheby says that sale was the most watched auction in the company's history. Now it's hoping for a similar response with this auction. As the latest with the NTD business team and myself, Paul Graney, you can follow me on Twitter, though. If you have any news, tips, or feedback for the show, you can also email us, business at ntd.com. That's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.